woman leading in one of Canada's nonprofits and struggling with turnover on your team? Or perhaps you might be the one who's wondering if it's time to go. Then stay tuned because in today's show, we are talking to Marianne Kerr about the nonprofit turnover issue, why it's there, and what we can do about it. Welcome to the Surviving to Thriving podcast that helps women leaders in nonprofits get out of survival mode and thrive in both leadership and life. I'm your host, leadership development coach, Kathy Archer, and I help women leaders enjoy impactful leadership. Marianne is the Chief Happiness Officer and CEO of her organization, The Medalist Group. She founded The Medalist Group in 2006 with the mission to create kind, collaborative, inclusive, and productive social profit workplaces. Oh, please, that's what we need. She's a true believer that the health and well-being of our workplace is directly correlated with the health and well-being of our employees. In this episode, you're going to hear us talk about what the role of leadership is, what the role of the employees is, the board is, to create the culture where employees want to stay, want to stick around, so that we're not having such high turnover in the sector. Let's transition into my conversation with Marianne. Welcome to the show, Marianne. I'm super excited to talk to you today because I know you have a wealth of information, wealth of experience, and lots to share about going forward in the nonprofit sector. So before we dive in, can you just, I mean, I did your bio, but tell everybody a little bit about you, sort of the Coles Notes version of how you got to where you are today. Sure. Well, you know what? I always start with the fact that I'm a mom to two amazing young women because everything I do in life is dedicated to those those two. So I I start there. But I I worked in the social profit sector for 34 years in kind of fundraising and organizational leadership roles and and mostly small to mid-sized organizations, like from a a budget of a million up to kind of 20 million. So it's it's a big range and was responsible for helping to raise $110 million and that to me is, you know, I feel like I can look back over that career and I feel really good about it. I feel um, accomplished and and there are a lot of really wonderful relationships that came as a part of that. But then I hit some bumps, right, in the last uh, kind of 10 years of my career, maybe eight or nine years of my career. And I said to myself, you know, what is happening here? Why why am I having these experiences? And of course, you know, I, I, I want to be really clear that I think anytime things go wrong, we all have a part, we all play a role in it. But there were some really significant issues with turnover in the sector. There were some significant issues with organizational culture and leadership. There are issues with governance. So when I looked back, I said, how, you know, let's say I have 10 years, 15 years ahead of me to work. What, what do I want to do? How do I want to have the greatest impact? And so I, I, want to, I want to work on healthy organizations. I want to help co-create healthy organizations. And that's what you do now. So that's what I do now. Yeah. So do you do that like in terms of, you know, consulting in organizations, one-to-one work with leaders? Both, both. Yeah. My, my preference is not one-on-one because I'm not a coach. There are a lot of really tremendous coaches out there. 
Thank do you know you. any? <laughs> and that isn't what I do really. Yeah. So I will coach within the context of a of a, an engagement. So the client has me there doing leadership team uh, work or organizational health reviews, um, an audit of some sort. Then I will coach as part of the process, but it's not individual coaching so much as it is organizational coaching. Right. Yeah. And so over your own career, and we'll probably touch on some of your career stories as we continue to talk, (laughs) and the work that you've done with organizations, you've really noticed, and we all have, let's be honest, those of us in the sector have noticed there's a lot of turnover. And there's, there's an issue or several issues here. Now you're writing a book on this. So tell us about the book. I am writing a book. Well, you know, first, I feel really proud about the book because Jim Hilborn came to me from Civil Sector Press. And he said, you know, we have an issue with turnover in the sector. We need someone to write a book. Would you write this book? And I hadn't been thinking about it at all. And I wasn't even sure I was capable of writing a book. I'm almost done. I'm about two thirds of the way there. So I'm excited about it because for me, this is a book. I said to him, well, how will we change the world, Jim, if I write this book? Because, and and we, we thought a lot about that. And I think the book is really going to uh, pique people's curiosity on the wide range of topics that are related to organizational health, to turnover, to culture, to governance, to leadership, right? There, there is so much, but this one is written with the charitable sector, the social profit sector in mind. So it's very specific to the work we do. And our work is nuanced. It is not the same as working uh, in a for-profit organization. So I really feel like there, it's a niche, which means that, you know, we'll probably sell 10 or 12 books, but that's okay. Because I think for emerging leaders in the sector, it will really be helpful and it will, it will lead them in other directions than, than they might they might have otherwise gone. Yes. And you're going to give us a little sneak peek into the book today. So I just want to, you know, talk to before we dive into sort of what you've discovered so far and what you're putting into the book around this turnover in the nonprofit sector. I think there's, there's a number of different things from frontline turnover to, you know, middle management and then upper management. And there's so many diversities around, you know, is it a, children's program or is it a woman's shelter or is it you know like you say there's so much going on but what I experienced and what I hear from my clients is just the pain of it like Mm -hmm. it's hard whether you're the one who's you know leaving an organization or where you whether you're experiencing it with your staff it is really hard can you speak to that for yourself or for what you've experienced the pain of turnover Oh, for for sure. I mean, you know, the first time I got fired, Kathy, and and you know, when we talk about turnover, it's it's not all always voluntary, right? No. <laughs> um, and, and even when it's voluntary, sometimes it it's very difficult to leave a place, right? But the first time I got fired, I and I, I've been fired three times. I say it proudly now, but it took me a long time to get here. Yeah. Yeah. It was a huge 
hugely traumatic experience. My whole family had moved to a new town for this job. I'd been there a year when we made that move. My kids had never lived anywhere else. And so we took them out of schools. We, you know, all of that disruption. And as soon as we moved, everything started to change within the workplace. And and it was a, a bullying environment. It's as simple as that. And, you know, I am, as you know, not a wallflower by any means. I have a lot of confidence in terms of the work I do because I know that I'm good at the work that I do. So to find myself in this situation where I'd be in meetings and there would be quite literally sweat pouring down my back. Okay. Like I I can't, I know that's gross, but that's the absolute truth. I would be shaking. I, I, it was just the most horrible experience. And then, and then being fired, of course, is a whole trauma in in and of itself. And so, yeah, so I, you know, I, I think, I think that I was able with time and a lot of coaching and, and help and support to separate out what was about me right? Because you take it personally, you figure it's all about you. Some it, it, it eats away at your confidence. It eats away at your self-esteem. And as the sole breadwinner at my house, I was terrified, right? Truly terrified um, about how my family was going to survive this. So yeah, it, it's really, really tough. And I think organizationally, there were things that could have happened to avoid it because it was a job I loved. I loved that job. I mean, I really did. I didn't like my manager, but I sure loved the job. Yeah. You know, it's interesting as you were talking a couple things. So I've had some real peaks in my career and some real valleys as well. And so just as you were talking about the sweat pouring off you, I, you know, it takes me back to those times when my work culture sucked and I was the leader. So I certainly had a role in that, but the tension and the stress that ate away at my body. And I remember sitting in meetings feeling very much like my stomach was about to, you know, like, and you know, I was ready to throw up and I didn't know how to handle it. And I left the room crying and, you know, there was times that it was so bad. So I think that's one of the things that we have to recognize. And again, I think that's where coaching comes in and therapy for some people and stuff is it is traumatic at times, the stuff that's going on and it takes time to heal. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I think we have an epidemic of mental health issues, crisis in this country. And a large part of that is is coming from the workplace, right? It's not that people are bringing mental health issues into the workplace. They're actually being created by the workplace. workplace. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's interesting that we talk so much about mental health and, you know, the stigma, but but we're not doing a great job of taking care of people at work. Okay. So tell us the, the main components. Why is turnover so high in the nonprofit sector? What have you learned? Yeah, well, the number one issue is, is tur- with turnover is managers, right? So I did some survey work a year ago, I guess it was, 85% of Canadian workers are disengaged. Of those 85%, 70% blame their manager. So it, it is the number one issue in the workplace. And um, yeah, we don't work for the company, we work for our manager. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. 
Exactly. And we've all heard that, right? We don't leave a job, we leave our manager. Yeah. But, so that's one. For that manager to exist and, and, and be that person to us requires an organization, an organizational culture that supports it, right? So we, we call them toxic workplaces or toxic cultures, but, but that is a big piece of it. So it's creating um, an organizational culture that, cre- that, that, that causes people to be valued and respected and have a sense of belonging, right? That, that culture is, is really a missing piece. And I think in our social profit sector, even more so than the corporate sector. I really, I truly believe that. Okay, I just want to back up for a moment because yeah. I don't want leaders to feel like they're the problem or they're to blame, but I yeah. want them to understand their role. So there's yeah. a connection between why you lead the way you do or why your supervisor leads the way they do to the culture. Just right. Hone in on that just a little bit more for us. Sure. So let's talk about micromanaging managers. Okay. Micromanaging is a form of harassment. And what we say generally is we go, oh, that's just Kathy's style. She's a bit of a micromanager. She worries about everything. Don't you know, that's just how Kathy is. And we, we as leaders in organizations let Kathy, get away with it, right? Instead of looking at the impact it's having on on people. So if you have a culture, if you work carefully on culture, which, which, you know, a lot of people struggle with, and I'll I'll talk about it in a bit, but because they don't know where to start generally, right? If, if If you're not paying attention to culture, those kinds of things just keep uh, happening and nobody's and, and and nobody even knows. Nobody's looking at turnover. There's nobody. There's no employee surveys happening around morale. Or if they are, people go, yeah, we don't really trust that this is anonymous, right? There's not a lot of trust in that organization. So culture is what allows uh, poor management to happen, and uh, a culture that is working effectively is ensuring that managers are trained and supported and, and, you know, developed to be good at what they do, right? Rather than, yeah, sorry, go. Well, I just think the first time I heard culture when I was a new leader, I'm like, what does that mean? Yeah. Like, what is culture? And I think it's still kind of a weird word. So what do you mean by culture? Okay, well, so, so uh, the easy answer is it's everything. So, so, so there is a definition by, by two authors, Kennedy and Deal, and they, call, they say culture is the way we do things here. So it impacts everything. It's the, it's the environment. It's where I sit in my little cubby versus the corner office that the CEO has. It's the way someone greets you when you walk in. It's policies and procedures. It's, it's how late meetings start, even though the start time is... Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's equity, diversity and inclusion, right? It's, it's, there, there are, you know, you, there are nine or 10, depending upon which way um, or which, which author you believe or which consultant you follow elements to culture. And, and so, so it's everything, it's related to everything that you do and everything that you see and everything that you touch. But it all comes down, if, if I were to define it as simply as possible, it's how does, how does that employee feel at work? How do they feel? So, you know, if we say that ours is a, a respectful culture, right? But that employee feel respected. Right. Then you are not you are not meeting that, right? And and all of the research points to really very simply that people want to be valued, they want to be respected, and they want to belong. That that that's it, you know. It's it's very simple, it, but it takes effort and it takes yeah. paying attention, right? A lot of attention. Do you ever feel like you are stuck in survival mode and you don't know how to get out? 
or you're not sure if you're in survival mode or how bad it is, if you head over to kathyarcher.com thrive, and I'll put the link in the show notes, you can get a quick worksheet to see where you land on the surviving to thriving continuum. How bad is it? Am I really stuck in survival mode or am, am I in the middle? And what do I need to do to get to thriving? You will also get the five mistakes you do not want to make as you plan your way out of survival mode and into thriving. Again, you'll find that in the link in the notes, kathyarcher.com slash thrive. So culture, leadership, and there was one more? Governance. Governance. So, and I, I think this is even more important in our sector than it is, again, corporately. I think corporately, boards are paying more attention to culture, right, and to the impact leadership has and to, you know, they're getting reports back on how their employees are feeling. They recognize there's a return, a financial return on investment uh, in employee engagement. So, uh, but in our sector, I think there we went through this phase where we really believed um, it was Carver. Do you remember the Carver model of governance? So, you know, over here we had the board and they were all about strategy and forward thinking and should have nothing at all to do with operations. And we, we created such a division between governance and operations or strategic thinking and uh, operations that boards stopped knowing what was going on. And that to me is the biggest failure because as the board, you know, you technically you're owning this organization on behalf of the people being served. If you don't know what's happening on an operational level, period, end of stop. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. You just must, you absolutely must. And if you're only talking to the CEO, and a couple of members maybe of a leadership team, you're not getting a fulsome picture, right? So there's extremely high turnover in nonprofits. Yeah. We know it has to do with governance, leadership, and the culture. Yeah. What do we do about it? Yeah. So the place to start, and I think I heard this amazing seminar through an organization called Excellence Canada, a not-for-profit organization, Dr. Adam Stower, who talked about thinking about organizational culture like a Rubik's Cube. (laughs) I wish I had one to show you. And he said, you know, if you think about that cube all messed up in the different colors everywhere, right? The, the journey to an, a healthy organizational culture is the same. It's getting from, from scrambled cube to an aligned cube. And that right? doesn't happen easily. It doesn't happen easily. And it, and it never really ends because it, because assume somebody's going to, and you got to do, right. You got to keep, you got to keep on it. Right. So the number one issue folks have is where do I start? I, I, I feel muddled. I feel overwhelmed, discombobulated. There's so much to do. Where do I begin? And like any journey that starts with a single step, that single step is about assessing the current environment and, and where you are today. And there are so many tools out there. Excellence Canada has one. The, Nash, the, the nonprofit employer of choice is a very good one, very inexpensive. And these are, these are tools that we use in organizations organizations to gather the wisdom in the organization to say to the the staff what is happening on all of these various markers help us to understand where the organization is and where we want it to get to so that's the first step awareness right and once you have that assessment yeah 
everything else will fall and follow because you'll you'll know where you need to focus and what you need to do. And, and there are people in organizations today who love this kind of work, but they, it may not be their core job. But ask, you know, ask within your organization, do you want to work on a culture committee, an internal culture club, you know, and let's do this work together as a team. And and it's a beautiful process to go through because it's people are aligned and and, and developing and co-creating a vision for the future. Whose job is it to kickstart that? Well, you know what? It's a really good question. I think part of the issue is I want to simply say that it's the CEO or the leadership team or a VP of HR. I think that's an, an, a kind of obvious answer. But sometimes those people are so busy, they're not really even seeing what's happening in an organization. So, you know, how much social capital you have makes a big difference uh, to whether you'll be heard. But I think anyone at any level in an organization can can see if there are struggles happening, can see if there's toxicity, and and can try to use their social capital to, to make a change. And so ultimately, it needs to be led by the CEO and the leadership team. But sometimes they're just not paying attention. And sometimes they're part of the problem. I have two questions. Describe social capital. What do you mean by social capital? Well, social capital is, you know, if you've only been at an organization for a year or two, even in an organization that has, you know, staff that have been there for 10 or 15 years, they have developed social capital, right? So they know the ins and outs. They have a, t- they have a group, not necessarily a clique, right? But a group of people who support their point of view, who they know well enough because it all comes down to, everything comes down to relationships in an organization, right? Yeah. So they've got well-developed relationships where they can say, yeah, I can go, I can go to Marianne and ask her about this because I trust her. I know she trusts me. I know that both of us are working for the betterment of the organization. And I can say to her, you know, there's this toxicity that's happening in the organization within this department. How do we fix it? What can we do? Right. So what, so my second question is, what if you are, you know, a team leader, a coordinator, a program manager, something down the hierarchy yeah. Your boss, your leadership team is the issue. Yeah. Two-part question. Can yeah. I, what, how do I influence upwards is part mm-hmm. one of the question. And then part two is what if I just ignore them? Can I just work on the culture of my own little six person team? Yeah. Well, those are big questions. So <laughs> first, first, I'm going to do the last, I'm going to do the last one first, because I think you can, right? And there are within bigger organizations, especially there are subcultures, right? And, and, and there, they are a necessary part of an organization. And so if, if I think of a large fundraising organization, the fundraising team may have a different culture than the, the communications team or the program delivery team. But it, but there is still in a high, high functioning, healthy organization, there is still an overall culture that they feed into and that and that is reflected in those subcultures. Right. The problem, though, the problem is if you have a great subculture and the rest of the organization is is toxic 
or much of the rest of the organization is toxic, that won't, that won't help anyone. Because at the end of the day, what happens is someone over here says, wow, I'd really rather work on the fundraising team because look at how much fun they have every day. Or, you know, or, or wow, they get Friday afternoons off or whatever it is, right? They'll, they'll see it as somehow, it doesn't move the whole organization forward. So, so it, it, it depends. So, so it can happen anywhere. When the problem is at the leadership level of the organization, it is tough if you don't have the social capital uh, to make a difference. And I think that is, is the critical component. I have had so many people in the last two years ask me this exact question, what can I do? And it's at such a senior level that their feeling is they can only, the only recourse they have is to go to the board. Now, I have been a board member and had staff come to me about an organization uh, and, and leadership. And I have also been in organizations where I wanted to go to the board, right? I haven't gone to the board as an employee because, because I'd had the experience of being the board member. So I, I think at times you are stuck. I'm, I'm going to be honest, at times there is, you know, you, if you risk going to the board, because it is a risk that you take, you will, may, very likely, find yourself unemployed, right? So sometimes the only recourse is to move on. And that, that, that was my next question. How right. do I know when it's time to move on? Well, and that's part of the reason we have so much turnover. Yeah. It's because too often people come to that place and, and it, it's, it's the reason why leadership is the number one issue, number one thing we need to work on here, right? They come to that place and they go, I, this is a no-win situation for me. There is nowhere here for me to go. So I think it's such a personal issue. And I think the, the question you ask, you know, pe- if you think on any, if you did any reading about Julie Payette and the, the governor general and pe- people were talking about driving to work and sitting in their cars and crying before they went in, before they could gather at the strength. Or at coffee breaks or, co- or lunch, like, right. yeah. Yeah, so, so in every way that that's time to go, but at the same time, there are practical concerns. You may not be able to afford to go. You may not have the option of another job readily available in, in your line of work. I mean, it is really co- complex. And that's the reason why it's so important that we treat our employees better yeah. because the, you know, the epidemic of mental health in this country, the high use incidence use rate, whatever the right term is uh, on antidepressants, the high rate of, of alcoholism. These things are highly related to the, to what's happening at work. I interviewed people a couple of years ago who, who made comments like, yeah, the culture really sucks, but you know what? I go home at the end of the day and I have a couple of glasses of wine and eh, I just leave it at the office. But you don't. They, no, they don't. They, they really don't. And you cannot because, and in our sector, particularly, we do this work because we care so much about the world and, and about fixing something, helping. Well, the other part of it is many of the people that come into this sector come in because they had issues. So, yeah. you know, if you're in a woman's shelter, you maybe come from an abusive background or, right. you know, you were in the child protection system growing up. So now you're working in the group home or yeah. whatever. So you have your own bag of issues already. Right. Right. So that just complicates the sector. And like you said, we're, we're so underpaid 
So if I quit my job, my kids don't get fed, let's be honest, or a single mom or, you know, there's so many issues. Yeah. So that brings me to the next question. Sometimes the leadership is not taking responsibility. They're not seeing it, their heads in the sand. What's the role of the sector? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I just want to touch a little bit on what you said about, you know, people coming into the sector who have their own trauma right? Because I think often, and and when you're often people who are bullies in the workplace and who harass others in the workplace are actually playing out their own trauma in some way, right? And you see that a lot also in on social media when people get really um, intensely upset about something. It, it's often coming from a place of, of personalized yeah. trauma or vicarious trauma or, or whatever. So I think that's a, a really important part of the work here. I think the sector has a responsibility to talk about it, to shine a light on it, and to do better. So, you know, I keep hearing that we're building back better. And, and I hope that's true. And I think part of that is, is only going to happen if we have these tough conversations in organizations, if boards start to really pay attention. You know, I interviewed some folks, and I'm not going to say who yet, but I interviewed some really amazing, great leaders who are getting this right in the sector. And when I ask about boards, what they say is, you know, as CEO, I am measured in part by how well my staff is feeling. So they they are being surveyed. You know, the, this one was a, a staff of several hundred people. They're being surveyed and, uh, you know, in, and there's an element of 360 and reviewing and so on to say, if this group of people are not feeling valued, respected, and a sense of belonging. I got to jump right? in. I yeah. Jump in because, okay, like I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. And yet we're told to shut our emotions off. You just said feeling. Mm. We mm. need to know that our staff are feeling. Mm. And yet in organizations, we talk more about what they do. You know, how mm. many clients do you serve? How much money did you make? Do you know, it's, it's the things we can tick off. Yeah. Even though we're a nonprofit world, charity sector, we don't talk about feelings a lot. Like, yeah. how are you feeling today? How do you how are you feeling with your workload? Yeah. You know, not how many more clients can you take on, but you know, what's the impact in your body, your emotions? And so that's a lot of the work that I do is around emotional intelligence. Yeah. I, I mean I'm so happy that you brought that up. And it is, I I use a tool called the emotional culture deck in order to help co-create culture. And it's all about, you know, let's take a leadership team who said, you know, that they're doing the good work. They're co-creating a healthy culture. They say we want people to feel feel valued, respected, and a sense of belonging. You then have to take that and say, what behaviors, right? First, what do how do I want Kathy to feel when she leaves? So I'm, I want Kathy to feel happy. I want her to feel engaged. I want her to feel involved. And then what behaviors do I have to undertake? What do I actually have to do in order for those for those feelings to, to be true for, for the staff? Yes. So we, we dive deep into emotion in the development of culture because even just the, the, the words like respected to me, if you were to yell at me or raise your voice even a little bit, I would feel disrespected. Yeah. But for other people and in different industries, that's just an expression of passion. Yeah. And it's okay. 
Right. And, and so there are so many ways that that plays out in the workplace. But I, you know, I used to always say, I mean, I, my job, my work is about creating workplaces where you can bring your whole self to work, where you can laugh, you can cry, you can do whatever you need to do, full, feel the full range of human emotion at work. At right. Work. Well, and you know, that's, that's often what I'll ask people. So they'll come to me for, for, you know, I have this issue with this team person, you know, they're driving me nuts. How do I fix them? And I'm like, well, okay. (laughs) But one of the questions I often ask is, okay, you're going into a tough conversation with them. How do you want them to feel at the end of that conversation? Not what agenda items do you want to bring to that conversation and not what you want to cover yeah. But how do you want them to feel? Because I just wrote a blog post about this. If you want them to walk out of that meeting and say, boy, is she ever a look, <laughs> you can accomplish that really easily. But if you want them to walk out of that meeting and say, that was really tough, but I feel like she understood and supported me. Yes. That's two completely different conversations. Yes. Yeah. And it all comes down to, again, relationships, right? Mm-hmm. And and really knowing the people that you work with. I'm a big fan of Patrick Lencioni's work. He did most of his and still does a lot of his work in faith-based organizations. And to me, it's very much about an expression of kind of servant leadership, right? And being in service to your teams rather than the other way around. And so, yeah, I, I really care about the people that are, are working with me every day. I, I do, you do. I think there are lots of people who, who feel that way. It just gets crushed out of us by organizations that want to measure the success of an organization by numbers. How many were served? How many dollars came in? How many times did we get our names in the newspaper? How many opportunities to speak to the CEO get? How many awards did she win? <laughs> right? That, that's how we measure organizations instead of measuring them around, you know, how do the people who work here feel? So you know that I have a membership site. So I have a membership site for women in the nonprofit sector. And I just dropped a course in there a month ago around a template for supervision with your with your employee. And one of the things that I created was a one pager about your employee. And yeah. I love that you started our whole call with I'm a mom. Because that's my world as well. I'm a mom. I have five granddaughters. I have a dog, a husband of 30 some years. As I knock my computer over, that's me first. Yeah. And so one of the things that I put on this one page about your employee is who is this person? Like they came to Canada three years ago. They have a dog. They're a single mom. They have a dream of running a bakery. Like what is it? Do you know about this person? Yeah. Is there a person yeah. first? Yeah. Patrick Lencioni and the table group have a have a little exercise called the personal histories exercise. If anyone Googles it, I'm pretty sure the three questions will just come up. Yeah. Tool to sit around to any team and, and ask these questions. And, and they are questions like there are three of them, but it's who basically who were you when you were eight years old? Like what, yeah. what did you dream yeah. of being when you grew up? What's what's a kind of defining moment that happened when you were a young person? And, you know, how many siblings, that's it. How many siblings, where are you in the birth order? And it's amazing how, I think that's the right three questions. It's it's close anyway. It's amazing how, how getting to who we were as a young person, how much it tells us. And I have facilitated session over session over session with those three questions that I still struggle with every time. I've never, I've never done it once where I haven't had somebody cry. Oh, I I love that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Totally. And then, and then to watch, like the 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 privilege in this 
this work is to then watch the rest of the team. Recently, it's been on Zoom, but in person, even on Zoom, to watch the rest of the group, envelop them, care for them, nurture them, steward them, whatever the words are, right? You see the team, you really see who they are when you facilitate those questions, because you know, are they, are they, can they, are they comfortable with someone else's emotion, right? Are so, they? So you just brought up a story that I'll probably cry telling. So I worked for an organization for almost 20 years. And it's funny because towards the end of that time, I was supervising over a larger geographical area. And so we started having not Zoom calls, but conference calls for staff meetings. So, yeah. you know, I had, I had a couple people at different sites and then an hour office I was in my office and I had a couple people in their offices, but we were all on the phone. And it was the day that I had let my team know. They didn't know that I was leaving. And so I announced this over the phone and I'm crying. And, you know, all of a sudden my door opens and here in comes the rest of the team that were in my office. And so like, there's this group hug happening in my office and the other people on their phone are going, hello, where'd you guys go? That's amazing. But that's, that's what you're talking about. Is that, that connection, they knew enough. And yeah, that was, so I'll wipe my tears away now. They they know that, you know, it's about moving beyond even, I, I think with Zoom meetings and such over the last year, we sort of have had this sense that we know people better because we can see inside yes. their offices. Yes. Like I, I can tell you right now, my office looks neat and tidy. <laughs> but if I turned to my computer just an inch in either direction, you would see the chaos that is actually my office. And I think the truth is that People believe they know more just because we're seeing in, but the, but but not necessarily. We're not true. seeing in here, right? Exactly. It, it's not about what you do; it's about who you are on the yeah. on the inside out. It, and, and all leadership and culture work is really about coming from the inside out. And it's funny because I've been talking a lot about. I, I've noticed the word authenticity being used an awful lot lately. People claiming, self-proclaiming to be authentic, right? And it kind of bugged me. <laughs> so I'm like, well, you know, there's a big difference between saying that you're authentic and actually being authentic as a leader. And you can't be an authentic leader if you're not an authentic person, right? If you haven't done the work uh, and always do the work. It, it's, not a, it's not a done, you know, checkbox kind of thing. It's a continual process to, to, to be looking inside and, and learning and growing, well, and the, and the other thing, and I know we need to wrap up because our listeners are like, oh my God, because we could listen to this conversation forever. But that's one of the things that I often talk about is integrity is one of the number one things we look for in our leader. Yeah. But you cannot be honest once, twice, three times, <laughs> and think you're seen as an honest leader because you could be honest for six months, yeah. but one little piece of dishonesty will blow that out of the water. Yeah. And so you're Absolutely. right. This is an ongoing process and people need to see that it happens continually. It's yeah. not what you say, it's what you do and how that makes people feel. Yeah, I love it. Thank you for saying that. So turnover in the nonprofit sector, number one thing people need to do? The number one thing they need to do, um, well, is read my book when it comes yes, out. Please. Um, <laughs> yes, please. Yeah. We'll talk about that um, in a second. I'm going to put it in the hands of board members and I'm going to say you you need to be checking to see what your turnover rate is, checking in with your employees and and doing the work to pay attention to culture. And the book is scheduled to come out? In the late spring, early summer. Yes. And do you have a title yet? 
We don't. I'd love to hear it. I have two uh, two potentials. We, we, okay. joking, we jokingly call it get sticky right now. <laughs> In other words, sticky. So people want to stay. Right. Um, and I've also, and sometimes I, ju- I just call it that stay, right? right? How to create the kind of organization where people want to stay. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Titles so, are hard. Thank you so much for this conversation. It has been wonderful. Where can people find you? On LinkedIn. It's Marianne Kerr on LinkedIn. Please follow, please connect. And if I can be of service, it would be my pleasure to do so. And I'll make sure that the links are in below. But you post almost daily, beautifully written, you know, thought provoking, engaging conversations. So people should really follow you on LinkedIn, engage in a conversation with you and and make sure that they are continuing so they do see the book when it comes out. You know, if you're not a board member or the leader, perhaps you could just buy it and leave it on the, you know, coffee table in the office or something. (laughs) Send it out as Christmas gifts. Yeah. Or buy (laughs) 10 copies and do a book club in your organization. Yes. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. I've done that with my book in some organizations where, yeah, we just, we all dive in in one organization and cover it because that's, that's a good way to change the culture of an organization. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's been such a pleasure talking with you, Kathy. Thank you so much, Marianne. And again, we'll put all the links in the notes so that everybody has the chance to follow. Thank you. If you found today's episode helpful, then you are going to love the training library. Many women leaders in nonprofits wish that they had a coach or a mentor to help them, but they don't believe that they or their organization can afford it. Oh, but you can. Inside of the Training Library membership site, you will not only get access to affordable and easily accessible ongoing personal and professional development training, you will also have access to a leadership coach at your fingertips. That way, when you hit those inevitable challenges that leadership will bring your way, you'll have both the resources and the support to navigate your way through them with confidence, composure, and while keeping your integrity intact. To find out more, head to kathyarcher.com slash library. If you are enjoying the show, I'd love it if you could leave me a comment or a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Go make the rest of your day awesome. Awesome.